0: Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at f one pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. My name is Mark Daly. I'm your host. And, well, it's almost weekend, and unfortunately, like the past couple of weekends, we don't have a Formula One race to look forward to, but we'll be back to it in just a week's time as the F1 Circus heads back to the UK for the British Grand Prix, and then uh, after that, it's well, it's a double-headed Silverstone, and the week after, we'll have the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. In, uh, in a back-to-back weekend again which is great looking forward to it and it sure is weird when you know you, you get a, a weekend off all of a sudden you sure get used to it quickly and uh I, I i'm really missing not having a race this weekend but i suppose there is too much of a good thing but uh, still there is news to talk about maybe not so much as we've had over the past uh, couple of weeks uh, where there's been a real flurry of things going on in and around uh, all the teams most of the teams uh um, as you might expect. But uh, even though that uh, th- there might not be the same volume of news that we've seen over the past uh, maybe a month or so, there's still plenty of interesting things going on to talk about. So before we get into it, let's just take a, a quick uh, look at the uh, standings in the World Championship after three rounds of the the, uh, the the season thus far. On the driver's side, we have Lewis Hamilton at Mercedes leading his teammate Valtteri Bottas by five points. Lewis leading the way with 63. Valtteri Bottas 58 points, Max Verstappen for Red Bull 33, Lando Norris still hanging in there in the top five in McLaren with uh, 26 points. And then Alex Albon in the second, Red Bull, rounding out the top five. Over on the Constructors' side, shouldn't really be a shock. This is pretty much the way that it is each and every year. Uh, Mercedes up on top, 121 points. Red Bull, 55 points. Long way back in the Constructors. McLaren in there really nicely at the moment, 41 points. Racing points with the pink Mercedes, 40 points. And then Ferrari, shockingly just uh, in the top five. And uh, they're still about 13 points behind Racing Point, which is absolutely amazing and completely shocking. Anyways, let's get into the news. And uh, like I said, there's quite a few things uh, to talk about. We're going to talk uh, first about uh, Christian Horner talking about what led up to Max Verstappen's a bit bizarre crash on the way to the uh, starting grid at last weekend's Hungarian Grand Prix. And uh, Christian was saying that uh, Max was going flat out on the damp track. It wasn't really out and out raining, but but the track was uh, still a bit uh, damp. And uh, he was uh, doing this uh, because he needed to synchronize his eighth uh, gear, and he just uh, uh, misjudged uh, the, the, the gri- uh, grip level. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> Horner did uh, say that uh, he was was very impressed with the jo- uh, repair job that they did on the grid uh, to get uh, Verstappen uh, back and up and running, and they only did so and and made the five minute cutoff uh, by literally uh, seconds. And uh, Max did a, a very good job to uh, really uh, put his head down and uh, take second place. Uh, and uh, you know, Christian did go, go on to uh, say that uh, overall it was a, a depressing weekend for the team. Anyways, uh, Horner had to say, "quote I was watching the outlap on the monitor and saw Max ride." Uh, run wide at turn 6 and 7. He was pushing to find out where the grip was and trying to synchronize 8th gear on the run down to turn 12, which means you have to be flat out to get that synchronization. The circuit was more slippery than he thought, and the tires were pretty cold. Nobody could quite believe their eyes when he went off into the barrier. Luckily, he managed to keep the engine running in reverse out of the barrier. We were unsure how serious the damage was, and he had to decide quickly whether to call him into the pit lane, but we made the call to send him out on the grid and see if we get the job done so he wouldn't lose his grid position." End quote. So yeah, it, that was a, a bit of a strange one, but it was. Uh, I, I think it was still a very, very interesting uh, situation that, uh, that that we've seen. Just how dominant over the past uh, couple of races uh, that Mercedes have been. I mean, the double DNF for, for Red Bull at uh, the Austrian Grand Prix, first uh, race of the season, about uh, three weeks ago. I think was a really, really kind of a bizarre thing, but still, we see that basically fifty percent of the field didn't actually finish that race in the end. I mean, it was only eleven out of twenty cars did by the time it was all over. It, it was it was quite strange to see that both red car, Red Bull cars, didn't finish the didn't finish the race because Christian uh, uh, Horner was actually saying in the run up to the start of the season that he felt that this was probably uh, one of the, you know, I think he was saying it was the the, the most prepared they'd been. For season ever, and uh, at least it was uh, though the most uh, prepared that they've been in the turbo hybrid era. So they they, they really felt confident going into the season, and they struggled uh, a little bit. And then uh, you know you get to the second race of the season, you have Max. <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, you know, he obviously didn't take any points home in the first race of the year uh, after retiring. And then uh, he didn't really have much to fend off uh, Valtteri Bottas. I mean, still, he was uh, good to, uh, you know, get get a podium uh, after it was all said and done. But still, uh, he really didn't have much uh, in the way to to fight off uh, Bottas. He really gave it a a really valiant effort to to, to hold him off for about a lap. But uh, it uh, just uh, wasn't there in the long run. But still, it was interesting I thought this past weekend in, in Hungary, when you kind of looked, especially in that, that final phase of the race, that um, uh, Bottas was put in a couple of really, really quick uh, laps, and you saw some of the calculations and some of the things that, uh, you know, when he might uh, actually close the gap, but uh, by the time it was all said and done, he got just within arm's distance, but he probably would have needed a, another several laps uh, to get a little bit uh, closer and uh, really get into position to try and pass uh, Max Verstappen. Not easily done. Uh, under uh, normal circumstances, but uh, even so on a track uh, like uh, the Hungaro uh, the Ring where there really are only a couple of real uh, good spots uh, to, to overtake. Uh, the, the first one being at the end of start-finish into turn one, and then uh, going around the corner down the hill into that uh, series of corners into turns two and three where we've seen uh, quite a few uh, overtaking uh, manoeuvres over the years, and uh, most famously when uh, Max Verstappen and Danny Ricardo had a coming uh, together at uh, in, in the Red Bulls a couple of years ago. But uh, still... You know, good job, great job uh, by Max for for stepping to stick it out. Uh, great job the, that the team did uh, to keep him in the car, keep him in the race without uh, having to uh, go back to the pits, or even worse, having to retire the car before the lights went green. And hopefully, they can uh, build a little bit of uh, momentum out of that race. But uh, they kind of seem to be in a bit of a weird place, don't you think, at the moment? They're clearly faster than some of their uh, other rivals out there. Racing points, they're they're pretty close. Uh, we, we've seen that they're a lot closer to the uh, the the Red Bulls, definitely quicker than uh, Ferrari. The you know so far in the season, but uh, Red Bull maybe just uh, marginally ahead of those teams, but still, they're quite a ways off the pace of uh, Mercedes and that uh, very very competitive uh, W11 that uh, they're they're running this year. So. Uh yeah I don't know if we can really expect to see them close that gap in uh you know at the front there with the Mercedes it just seems uh, unrealistic it just seems that they've come And uh, they've just got a really, really good car. I mean, if they are saying that, uh, you know, last year's car was a good car in the W10, and this is basically an evolution thereof. And Lewis was uh, just saying a couple of weeks ago that he believes that this year's car, the W11, is uh, the best car that they've designed and built at uh, Mercedes. So, I mean, that's that's really saying something. I mean, how many uh, world championships has he won there? A whole bunch, right? And uh, he's had some very, very good cars uh, to do it. I mean, um, it's, it's always come down to Lewis Hamilton or his uh, teammates uh, to, to win the World Championship since uh, 2014. So I think that's uh, quite, uh, quite a bit of uh, praise to say that uh, this year's car is uh, the, the best of the lot uh, so far. Yeah, anyways, this one I, I think is a bit of an interesting one. Uh, we're going to stick with that uh, Red Bull for a moment. And Christian Horner says that he's struggling to understand some of the criticism that uh, that Max's uh, teammate Alex Albon is uh, getting. Uh, that uh, that he feels it's unwarranted that uh, he's being criticized uh, for his early season uh, performances and uh, you know so far in the championship, he finished uh, fifth in Budapest uh, and didn't make it uh, into Q three when he was uh, caught out uh, uh, by a lack of running uh, with with the setup they introduced on Saturday. Morning, uh, he uh, he got up uh, to the into the top five after starting thirteenth on the grid, and this was uh, following up a solid fourth that he had the Styrian Grand Prix, and of course uh, didn't finish uh, the, uh, the 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 opening race of the, the 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 season. But, anyways, I mean, there's always going to be, I think, a, a lot of comparisons uh, drawn to between the guy that's driving beside Max Verstappen. I think that's always going to be the case, no matter uh which team it is especially one, one of the top teams that um that, that there's always going to be that comparison when you have uh, somebody as good as Max Verstappen who obviously has the potential to, to be a world champion uh, given the, the 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 car I mean we've seen him drive cars beyond the limit of what they they should be capable of and uh, you really wonder it, it'd be a pretty awesome thing let, let's face it uh, to take uh, say Charles Leclerc Max Verstappen Lewis Hamilton put them all in the same car and let them go ahead to to head. I think that would be uh, you know a really cool thing to see. I mean, it's also <laughs> completely impractical; it's never going to happen. But it would be cool to see what what these guys could all do. I mean, maybe take all six of the the, the, the drivers from the top uh, three teams uh, from Red Bull, Mercedes, and then Ferrari, throw them all into the same car, and let them go out there head to head. See who finishes first and who finishes uh, six out of that uh, that that group. But uh, it would be uh, quite uh, spectacular. Anyways, we uh, just going back uh, to to Albon, yeah, of course he's going to be uh, under a lot of scrutiny like a lot of people are going to be looking at him but uh, I, I guess also there is that, that history there that uh, that you have at Red Bull I mean we, we saw it with uh, Danny Kvyat uh, being uh, sent back down to Toro Rosso making the way for for Max Verstappen back in 2016 we saw it last year after Pierre Gasly had a tough start to, to the year and uh, was sent back down to uh, to Red Bull in favor sorry down to Toro Rosso in favor of uh, moving uh, Alex Albon and I, I think that Albon is um, I think that he, he's really done a decent job uh, so far, I mean, let's face it, I mean, the thing is, when you had, uh, previously, you had uh, Danny Ricardo and Max Verstappen, I mean, these two guys were, were, honestly, they were racing for podiums, and you knew that they were going to win the odd race uh, between them, and what with uh, Ricardo leaving, that was always going to... I don't want to say it was going to maybe weaken the team, but it was certainly going to change the dynamic there because uh, you had two very capable uh, drivers. Max always was, I think, uh, you know, the the signs were there that he was the rock star. He was going to be the guy that that team was going to be uh, built around. And if you go and watch F1 Drive to Survive on Netflix uh, season one, it's very interesting as that uh, series evolves, just uh, the, the things, uh, the, the the different uh, clips that they have about uh, Ricardo and Max and, uh, and, and Red Bull and Renault and all those different things going on behind the scenes a couple of years ago. And you could uh, you could see why uh, Ricardo would not want to uh, stay there. I mean, you could uh, make the argument that uh, that he obviously feels that uh, he deserves to be a top driver in a, in a top team. And even though maybe they never came out and said it explicitly, that Max was number one and Daniel Ricardo was number two. I think it was always a one A and a one B that uh, that Ricardo was always maybe just a, a little bit lower in stature, but you know, maybe it was more perceived than anything else but <laughs> But uh, certainly, even though it was shocking at the time when he made the announcement that he was going to go to Renault, uh, you know, considering where Renault were and still are at this point in time, that uh, you could completely understand that. But still, it, it really changed the dynamic in that team, and there wasn't anybody really immediately to to, to step up and, and and really fill those shoes. I mean, where Ricardo was um, fighting for podiums and uh, was always in uh, sort of the best of the rest kind of category for the for the most part, you had uh, Gasly who ooh <laughs> basically kind of struggled to to make the top 10s. And, uh, you know, he just did, really got off on a, the, the the wrong foot. If you go back to 2019, he crashed in winter testing, which, uh, you know, really messed them up. You know, they had a lack of spare parts. And that also affected uh, Max Verstappen and the amount of time that he could get out on the track to, uh, you know, to, to get his laps in and all that sort of stuff. So you could see why after that that first half of the season, when they got to, to the summer break, that it, it clearly wasn't working uh, for, 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 you know, with Ga- Gasly and the team. Sending him back to, to Toro Rosso, and I guess that is the big question now: is he what what caliber is he? Is he uh, only that that sort of caliber for Toro Rosso? And that's not really really a long term thing. I mean, I, I know that they may have a, a bit of a gap at Red Bull in their young drivers program with guys that uh, that are able to come into Formula One. I mean, that's why I got back in because they last year because they didn't have a lot of guys that uh, that had enough uh, points uh, to get their super license and all that. <clears throat> Uh, but still, I mean, Kvyat, I think you know this is a different story. He's been, been pretty decent and a lot more reliable and stable than his uh, first go round in, uh, in in Formula One. And sitting out that year certainly made, uh, I, I think, a difference uh, to him. Um, but Toro Rosso is more of a transition team. That's uh, that that's a uh, kind of the, the the landing point for the younger drivers to come into Formula One. These the, these guys are really the cream of the crop of the Red Bull uh, Academy, the drivers program with the hopes of getting them into the big team, into the main team, and hopefully uh, challenging for races. So, I mean, I can't see that being a, uh, you know, a long-term thing for either Kvyat or um, uh, Pierre Gasly. I mean, they're either good enough uh, to, uh, to to make it up into the big team. And I suppose uh, their, their job there is only safe uh, as long as there's nobody uh, more promising uh, coming up uh, or is in the system uh, right now. But I think it's too soon to give up on, uh, on Alex Albon. And I, I do agree with what uh, Horner was saying, that uh, that he doesn't understand why the uh, you know the, the, there's this uh, criticism uh, so far. He had to say, quote, I'm very pleased. I mean, it's uh, been a difficult weekend for Alex. The car spec had been changing a lot from session to session. When you haven't got the experience and he doesn't, that's harder to deal with. So I think actually in the race where he managed to find his rhythm and pace was very, very good and comparable with Max. He was overtaking... Uh, was strong and against Ferraris and whoever else was passing out there. I thought he did a super job today. And if you look at his pace in clean air, it was pretty decent. I think we're very, very satisfied with Alex's uh, performance today. So yeah, definitely give the guy a bit of a chance to really settle in and let's see uh, what he can do um, once. I mean, you have to remember he's still a young guy and still hasn't really had uh, the the benefit of a full season with Red Bull under his belt. So we'll just uh, take it from there. Anyways, uh, time for a break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in All right. Well, welcome back to the show, and let's. We still got a little bit of uh, cleaning up to do, follow up stuff from last weekend's uh, Hungarian Grand Prix, and I think one of the interesting things at the time uh, was uh, the the fact that uh, Valtteri Bottas uh, was not penalized uh, for the, the 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 jump start he had before the start of the race. I mean, it was uh, obvious that uh, that he moved uh, out of his uh, grid box uh, before the lights uh, the the red lights uh, went out, and uh, we went uh, green, went uh, to racing. And uh, he did edge forward and stopped again, and um, he put it down to a, a light on his dashboard uh, that he was uh, sort of following rather than the lights uh, above the start-finish line, and that really disadvantaged him at, at the start. Um, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he lost a couple of places, and, th- and that's really what it uh, came down to, I mean... Um, th- all, you know, even though Max Verstappen did, I think, a great job to stay out ahead and, and really hold on to that, uh, that that second place and just uh, put in a, you know, keep uh, Bottas just far enough uh, behind at the end of the race. Um, although, uh, you know, Bottas just uh, wasn't able to close the gap uh, as much as he wanted to, to get into an overtaking uh, position. The fact was that uh, he really lost that, uh, that, that race at the start. I mean, it was always going to be a little bit uh, tough for him because he was on the inside of the track where it was uh, off of the racing lines. So maybe a little bit uh, less grippy than the the outside of the track uh, where the, uh, the 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 pole was because you know the the, the track was greasy and wet in every ways. Um, but anyways, he um, he obviously did uh, did jump the the, uh, the 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 start. But uh, the the big key to have been officially in breach of the rules is the it comes down to the detection system that is uh, built in the track. So this is uh, very similar to a situation we saw at the. Japanese Grand Prix with uh, Sebastian Vettel, uh, who had a similar kind of little, uh, little uh, jump, little nudge forward before the lights uh, went out. Anyways, uh, so talk, uh, uh, Michael Massey, the the race director at Formula One, had to say, quote, there are two parts to that. The, the means by which a false start is determined is actually clearly determined in the sporting regulations and has been in the same process for a number of years, which is the transporter that's fitted to each car is the judgment mechanism. <clears throat> Excuse me, there's a sensor in the road, in the track as well. There's a tolerance within that, and we, as we saw in Japan last year, that is the determining factor. So there is nothing further we have to look at. We spoke to the timekeepers immediately, and they reviewed all the data, and that was the end of the matter, end quote. So yeah interesting uh, it was pretty obvious i think within the first uh, couple of laps uh, that uh, uh that that uh, you know nothing was going to happen to Val, uh, Valtteri Bottas, that he was probably going to escape uh, some sort of penalty or the fact that uh, it might have come up uh, under investigation with the stewards because I think by the time that we got to, to, to lap five, that even by that uh, point, it seemed uh, that, that it had become a non-issue. Uh, I mean, usually when we see something, uh, you know, it's unsafe release the, in uh, the, the pits, you know, uh, causing an accident or some sort of dodginess going on in the track, that uh, usually that uh, the stewards, uh, you know, that, that they'll decide to review it and you get that little uh, notification on the on the TV monitors that the, they're doing so. But I mean, by the time we got to about uh, lap five, uh, like I say, and they still didn't have anything uh, officially noted that it seemed like it was going to be uh, he was going to get away with it. But still, uh, interesting to hear. Just get that uh, clarification uh, from Michael Massey that uh, that the, the transponders in the car are actually the determining uh, factor in uh, what uh, constitutes a, a, um, a jump start or not. Anyways, uh, Total Wolf said that uh, their decision to uh, pit Valtteri Bottas late in the race uh, was the only way that they thought uh, they could have taken uh, second place away from. Uh, from Max Verstappen. So opening that lap, like I said, he lost several positions, dropped down uh, to six, uh, because of that, uh, that near jump start that he had. Uh, but I mean, he fought his way all the way back up to third position in the last 20 laps of the race. And he had to figure, uh, even though there, there was some traffic uh, in front of him, that 20 laps is a, is a decent amount of, uh, you know, distance on the track, decent amount of time left in the race to close that, uh, you know, close that gap up uh, to to Max Verstappen. And and, well, uh, now that I look at the notes here, that uh, he was only three-quarters of a second uh, behind uh, Max by the time they uh, crossed uh, the start-finish line. So who knows? If he had another uh, couple of laps, uh, maybe he would have been able to put a move on Max. And uh, like I say, that that saying that is one thing. Getting around Max is another. Uh, it it uh, certainly is never an easy thing. But anyways, uh, Total Wolf uh, explained uh, later on after the race that uh, uh, Bottas was actually uh, struggling with some graining on the tires that he had in the second stint, uh, just uh, because of uh, you know the, how hard he was pushing to uh, to catch uh, Max Verstappen. And uh, so the, it really came down uh, that there only uh, opportunity. The only way that they were going to catch him was uh, by changing their their strategy. Anyways, uh, Wolf had to say, "Quotes: it would have been wrong to keep him out because Valtteri's tire had started to grain on the left front quite heavily because he was pushing so hard. We think he would have run out of tire anyway. And putting him onto a new hard in similar way like last year with Lewis Hamilton was actually the only chance of trying to snatch P2. In the end, it wasn't sufficient. There was quite a lot of traffic in between that we didn't clear fast enough. And I think it was in a recovery drive, end quote. So, I mean, disappointing obviously uh, for for Valtteri Bottas I mean at the end of the year if uh, Lewis uh, ends up uh, winning the championship and like I say I think each and every week I mean are you really going to bet against uh, that, that guy after uh, what we've seen all these years I mean Lewis has clearly got to be the favorite uh, each and every year I mean uh, and this year looking to be uh, obviously a lot shorter than a normal year uh, because of all the cancelled races and the rescheduling and stuff like that going to be more of a sprint rather than a marathon uh, you know 22 races we're going to have this year I mean dropping those couple of points could make the difference at, uh, at the, at the end of the year. I mean, uh, it's still, uh, we still have to see whether or not, uh, you know, he can, uh, he can win some more races this year and, and beat his teammates, but still, you know, it's, uh, it's never a good thing when you, uh, drop, uh, uh, you know, uh, drop points like that. And I'm sure he must be kicking himself after, uh, you know, that, that poor start, uh, that, that he had. Okay. Well, uh, just uh, one other thing, uh, sticking with uh, Mercedes, uh, uh, anyways, uh, they still are unsure how good the W11 is going to be in some of the hotter uh, conditions. Uh, you know, technical director James Allison uh, said that uh, there's still a lot of concerns in the team about uh, racing in uh, hotter temperatures uh, this summer. Uh, who knows uh, what it'll be like uh, once we get to some of the uh, other venues, uh, some of the other tracks uh, into the fall. But uh you know, hot weather wasn't necessarily an issue last weekend in Hungary. I mean, how many times have we seen wet weather in Hungary since the 1980s? I mean, you can probably count all the wet sessions either in, in practice and in qualifying and race conditions we've seen at the Hungarian. You can probably count them on one hand. I mean, it's a, the, the weather has always been very, very good there. So it was, um, you know, it wasn't an issue there. Uh, last year, obviously, the the cooling was a big issue at the uh, at at the uh, the Red Bull Ring for the um, uh, for the Austrian Grand Prix. This year, not so much, uh, maybe as uh, as last year. And then at the Styrian Grand Prix, the second uh, of the, the the doubleheader the Red Bull Ring, was a cooler, wetter uh, conditions, so it wasn't a, a big uh, big issue that time. Anyways, Allison had to say, "quote I'd note that we've had two quite uh, quite cool tracks so far. It was warmish in the first race." Of the year, but that was also the race where we were least convincing. So we would like to find out how swift we are, we can be when the track is roasting hot and whether or not we can still show the sort of tire management and pace under those conditions that we've been lucky enough to show in the opening races of the years. I think anyone who sat with us through the first weekend of the year wouldn't have had entertained the idea of a Mercedes procession at that stage that would have seen us all desperately worried about the car and its ability to finish a single race. Every car on the grid has a sort of Damocles hanging over, over pretty much every lap because they're all experimental vehicles in with any number of ways that they can catch you out or actually you disappoint yourself for not having seen it coming. We are only too well aware of the billion frailties that are there, even in a product that is pretty strong like our car and the drive of combo that we've got this year, end quote. So interesting, uh, we, we will see. I, I don't think that... Uh you know let, let's be fair here let's be honest i don't think that uh that uh, we're going to see huge, super hot roasting weather at the british grand prix at silverstone could happen i, I know that they had a uh, you know quite the heat wave uh recently so it'll be interesting to see what you know what, what the weather is like uh, i mean if we can hit the high 20s or even you know in, into the 30s uh, centigrade uh, next week um, you don't typically associate that sort of very warm summer weather in in a country like England but you know we have seen obviously that uh, that, that it does occur and if it does occur there or somewhere else uh, uh, over the next uh, you know say six weeks or so then uh, w- whether or not this is going to be uh, a weak point for them but uh, still interesting that uh, that is out there that, uh, that that still seems to be an issue and uh, I, I f- do find it interesting that uh, that that Allison is you know being quite uh, forthcoming and uh, you know actually admitting uh, publicly that uh, they do have these concerns and these issues uh, w- with their car. Anyway, so so we're we're going to get away now from that uh, sort of stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff coming up uh, about uh, Ferrari I want to get to, uh, but before we do that, I just want to touch uh, base now very briefly about uh, the F1 calendar uh, moving forward. So Hockenheim, uh, where we've seen the German Grand Prix on an off and on basis over the past uh, several years. They've now admitted uh, that they are out of um, out of uh, time, or sorry, out of the running to hold a, a Grand Prix this year uh, because of the strict limits uh, of the, the the number of people that uh, would actually be able to uh, attend the race. And it looked like uh, they might uh, be one of the uh, contenders to grab one of the European race slots uh, for this uh, year in the the very. You know strange year that we've had what well, with all the cancellations and rescheduling due to 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 covid and then this uh you know this this redesigned uh, you know fifteen to eighteen race uh, season that you know, who knows if it's going to happen yet? So we we don't know um, exactly uh, when it's uh, you know what's going to happen. I mean, we're basically all confirmed up until the end of September. Uh, last week, uh, we we found out the the, the Tuscan Grand Prix and uh, the Russian Grand Prix are a go. So, Tuscany is going to be at uh, Mugello, uh, Russian Grand Prix at uh, the Saatchi Autodrome, where it's been for the, the the past couple of years. You know, we still have the USA, Mexico, and uh, Brazil on the schedule still maybe subject to, to con- you know, confirmation, um, but, you know, there, there are still some other names uh, floating out there, like, um, you know, uh, MLS still uh, being uh, thrown out there and uh, there there are a couple others uh that uh, that may come on to the uh under the schedule as well um anyways uh, you know they were hoping to get uh, some fans back to the, uh, the the races by september and uh, you know formula 1 is hoping to get uh, people back into the stands for the russian grand prix at the end of se- september um but there are tighter local restrictions in the hockenheim uh region uh you know then that uh, limits the amount of people that uh, you know that uh, can gather at at, at events even outside, and those don't look like they're going to be lifted uh, anytime soon. So that means that um, you know that this basically eliminates any chance that the uh, that they're going to get uh, a race there even on uh, you know this uh, you know I'd, you know this schedule this uh, this year. Anyways, uh, Joran Teska, the uh, managing director of Hockenheim, uh, said, uh, "Quote from today's point of view for a potential race in October, we cannot assume that an event with more than 500 spectators would be possible. So from an economic point of view this makes us less attractive for formula one than any other race uh, racetracks where they are allowed fans even under uh, uh, certain con- uh, conditions therefore it will not be possible to live up to our offer which was to hold a grand prix under the special circumstances of the coronavirus crisis we can confirm therefore that there will be no grand prix at hockenheim in 2020 a bit of a shame uh, hockenheim is uh, one of the tracks that i've been to it's a great uh, venue uh, it just uh, it just you know, it's just got a, a real feeling of the uh, history there, and um, you know, sadly, I guess I'm old enough now to say that uh, that I attended there, and I d- actually didn't go for Formula One. Uh, I I was there for for a DTM race, uh, you, know, a, you know, a longer ago than I care to uh, admit, but uh, still, the the old um, that sort of kidney shape um, layout uh, that they have, which has obviously been drastically altered in the uh, the interim since uh, since I've been there, um, is you know, obviously it's, it's more technical because I mean they would come into the through that sort of little twisty bit to, in the stadium section past start finish go into that fast uh, right-hander and then they disappear into the forest and you wouldn't see them for a minute or two until they came back around the other side. So I mean not really great for spectators. You know, the the the, the way that it's uh, is now, it's much better for TV, it's much better for fans and it's it's much more compact. Uh, so, you know, um, I'm not a, a big big fan of of uh, you know the the changes, but you know maybe I'm just a little bit too, too nostalgic uh, for that sort of thing. So Hockenheim officially off of the schedule. So some of the other uh, races that uh, are being uh, thrown out there is uh, uh, so uh, pardon me is uh, Imola, which has uh, been uh, talked about uh, for the past uh, couple of uh, weeks. Um, you have uh, the Nurburgring in in Germany, which has uh, been uh, thrown out there uh, as well the the, the past uh, you know couple of days. And uh, who knows? Uh, there's uh, the possibility of maybe having uh, a race in uh, in Portugal um, this year at uh, at Portimao. And you know they haven't had a uh, Portuguese I'm sorry a Portuguese Grand Prix since 1996, and that is a long long time ago. So that would be kind of cool to see whether or not. They could uh, they could pull that off, and uh, well, anyways, I got a couple more things uh, to do, but I'm getting late for a break here. And a couple more thoughts on this, I should say. So we'll do that just on the uh, the other side of the break. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And yeah, yeah. Just for following up, uh, just to, just to finish the thought that, that uh, I wanted to make, uh, just with the possibility of maybe getting the Nurburgring on the calendar for uh, Formula One. So the the three races or, or venues that are being brought up now are Portimao in Portugal, Imola in Italy. Uh, that one's been out there for several weeks now. We we know that we're having the the, the Tuscany Grand Prix at Mugello after uh, Imola, and the you know that this the possibility of having a, an Italian triple header of races. Has uh, uh, really been, I think, tantalizing and appealing to a good many people, and that certainly has been out there for for a couple of weeks. But it would be cool for, from a personal point of view, to see the, uh, the you know a race at the Nurburgring. That is uh, the the very first track that I went to uh, to see my very first Grand Prix way back in two thousand and one. So. Obviously, I'm older than I, I care to admit, but that was it was a great, great experience because that was really sort of the start of uh, peak Schumacher mania, and it was really cool to see. We were sitting sitting down at the bottom of the track in uh, I think they believe they call it the the, the Dunlop corner, uh, the, that uh, hairpin when they come down down the hill into that uh, that hairpin. It's it's not uh, a really really slow corner, say uh, like some of the slowest corners we see in Formula One, but it slows the cars down enough, and it was really cool because you'd see them, they come around through a uh, start, finish, go through a series of corners, and then they kind of wind their way down the hill. So it was it was cool because you would see the acceleration and the way the cars would come down through those uh, series of corners down the hill into the hairpin. So you'd see them uh, coming down with the you know, the speed, put the brakes on, go through that uh, that slower hairpin corner, and then they would accelerate, go up uh, the hill, and then um, go off uh, into a left hand around the corner. So it was pretty cool. So you get to see, you know, if you ever go to a race at, uh, at the Nürburgring, especially, uh, you know, if, uh, if Formula One goes back there in the future at some point, it is a good point or a good place to sit at that part of the track because you really get to experience the different, uh, you know, the, the different aspects of the performance of a, of a Formula One car. And of course, uh, you know, being back, uh, you know, long, long ago in the olden days when the, when the cars were uh, normally aspirated. I still remember sitting there and uh, the stands were absolutely packed uh, with uh, people wearing uh, Ferrari, you know, shirts and hats and uh, Ferrari flags and German flags and Schumacher mania. I mean, it was really, really cool and all the red flares and everything like that. But it really was uh, quite the the, the experience uh, from from that point alone. But also, just the noise of uh, of the cars. And I, I remember, you know, I had my uh, a little uh, a little container with my earplugs around my neck. And you know, you're, you're sitting there. I went. Uh, I think there was about six or eight of us. Uh, we we went with a group of uh, friends to watch that uh, that that race, and we went there for the uh, the entire weekend. And you know, you're sitting there with your buddies, and there's a lot of people there, and there's a lot of noise, and you're all talking and laughing, having a good a good time and getting excited for the start of the race. And we all kind of uh, forgot to put our earplugs in. Most of us did anyways in our group. And, uh, you know, the, the, the noise, the absolute cascade of noise, uh, of the entire field of... I don't remember off the top of my head how many cars uh, were in Formula One at the time, if it was 20, if it was 18 or 22. But I mean, it was a lot. And those normally aspirated cars, they just made a noise that you would not believe. I mean, one car on its own, say during qualifying, it was loud enough. But uh, when the entire field went by, especially at the start of the race, and it was... I mean, the the without having your earplugs in... It was excruciatingly loud. It really, really was uh, very painful. And then you fast forward a number of years. Uh, you know, the, I also went to um, the the Spanish Grand Prix in 2014. That's sadly last time I was able to attend a Grand Prix in person. That was uh, the first year of the V6 uh, turbo hybrid cars, and you know, uh, I went with uh, my wife and <laughs> we had our earplugs, we're all ready and everything. And then of course, uh, the, at the, the, the opening lap, I mean, it was obvious uh, during uh, practice and, and qualifying that the, the cars, you know, being the, the, the V6 turbo hybrids were much, much quieter than, uh, than they were in the past. And I mean, they'd only had a couple of races under their belt and there was a big controversy for, for those of you that remember back uh, in 2014, when they first came out, just how quiet they were and things like that. But it was, it was noticeable. And that's, uh, uh, the the one big comparison that uh, that I made uh, you know or, or noted myself was just uh, in in the span of time of about uh, you know ten or twelve years or whatever it was between the two races that I went to. Was just the fact that in in 2002, when uh, w- when I went uh, to the, uh, the the European Grand Prix compared to the Spanish Grand Prix in 2014, I mean the cars were so quiet I didn't put my earplugs in the entire time. But uh, anyways, that, that is uh, a, a bit of a tangent. But still, from a personal vo- point of view, I would uh, very much uh, like uh, to see the uh, you know Formula One go back to the uh, the the Spanish or, sorry to the Nurburgring and uh, it would be kind of cool I mean uh, the, the way that things have been going this year obviously it's uh, fluid at the best of times I mean that we have a confirmed calendar at the moment and uh, obviously it looks like we're, we're going to get a couple of races uh, still added on at some point uh, in you know in the, the coming weeks and uh, we'll wait and see whether, whether or not uh, one of those uh, you know th- those venues I think it'd be pretty cool to have one or all three of them or a combination thereof which would be two obviously uh, would be a a cool thing to see. So we're going to just have to sit tight and uh, see what uh, Chase Carey and the people of Formula One can uh, sort it out over the next uh, couple of uh, weeks or months. Anyways, uh, talking about the Spanish Grand Prix, so um, even though there's been a, a bit of a rise uh, of uh, coronavirus in uh, Catalonia, in the Barcelona area in in recent uh, weeks, uh, they're still set to have the Grand Prix go ahead on August 16th uh, because uh, despite the, the rise in uh, COVID cases and uh, reintroduction. Of uh, more restrictions in the area, um, so anyway uh, there there have been some concerns going around because this is the the, the rising cases there has been going on for about uh, two two and a half weeks now, uh, so so there have been some concerns during that time about uh, holding the race even though the track is a, a good forty five minutes uh, out of the city if I remember we we when we went uh, we didn't drive we were staying in a hotel downtown uh, we, we took a, a, a shuttle bus uh, from from uh, downtown from the city to the the track and I seem to remember it's about 45 minutes, uh, definitely less than an hour to get there. So, I you know, it makes you wonder. Whether or not uh, you know that that is isolated enough, uh, certainly uh, you know the Hungara Ring being outside of uh, Budapest, uh, Spielberg, where the, the the Red Bull Ring is uh, fairly uh, far you know far removed. Although uh, you know makes you wonder how they can contain themselves at the track. So, uh, people in Barcelona last week were asked to stay at home for 15 days, and there's a ban uh, being placed on uh, gatherings of more than 10 people, and then uh, cultural activities and recreational sport have been uh, suspended for the time being. So uh, there was some talk that the maybe Formula One could stage uh, another Grand Prix at uh, Silverstone in in case uh, you know the lockdown situation in Catalonia became uh, more uh, severe so you'd have the uh, you know the three you'd have actually three races there because the way it's uh, set up right now we've got uh, the British Grand Prix next weekend. Then the weekend uh, thereafter, you have the the seventieth Grand Prix that is uh, on the 9th of August and the sixteenth of August. The week after that, so we go from one triple header into another triple header. Um, you, know, that, uh, you know that 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 uh, could have been a, a possibility, but uh, anyways, looks like it's 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 going to be um, you know going ahead. Uh, but a uh, spokesman for the the, the circuit uh, for at uh, for the at Barcelona said that. Um, uh, that they're outside of the lockdown area in the city, so the people attending the race at the circuit are actually unaffected by the restrictions that are currently in place. So a, a spokesperson, pardon me, uh, told motorsport.com, quote, everything is going ahead as planned. We are not affected by the restrictions. Everything is controlled and reinforced with the uh, Formula One, the FIA and circuit protocols, which are very strict, end quote. So, that's uh, that's good. No, um, reassuring to hear that uh, that's probably going to go ahead as planned, and certainly hope that uh, the situation in Barcelona. Uh, and, um, you know, with, with the, the the lockdown uh, situations and reintroduction of uh, co- anti-COVID measures uh, really pays off and they can get that um, un- under control very, very quickly. Um, anyways, uh, we've got some Ferrari stuff to talk about. We're starting to run out of time here, so I better uh, pick it up, uh, you know, a notch. Um, Sebastian Vettel is uh, quite open now saying that uh, he's failed in what he called his Schumacher-inspired mission. Uh, but he still has no regrets about uh, moving to Ferrari a couple of or several years ago now, and he was uh, talking with uh, Sky Sports uh, Martin Brundle before the Hungarian Grand Prix, and uh, he he was asked whether he was hurt by Ferrari's uh, decision to to let him go at the end of this year, and um, he was he was quite frank and open about it. Uh, he just uh, basically took it uh, as it was, but I think it was interesting. Uh, he did go on, uh, I, I think, to really explain the uh, the. the the reason why he wanted to go to Ferrari. And I mean, who wouldn't want to go to, to, to Ferrari? I think everybody, if they, they had that uh, opportunity, would uh, would jump at it. Anyways, um, Sebastian had to say, quote, Ferrari has always been a dream of mine, massively inspired by my childhood, my, by the Michael in red car. I was inspired by him and still inspired by him because I think he was the best that uh, there ever was. I was hoping to take some championships away from Lewis Hamilton so that Michael's record stands a bit longer. Now we are a bit out of striking distance to try and block him. But I think that I wanted this to work myself more than for Michael. I think looking back, my mission, my target was to win a championship and we didn't do that. So in that regard, we failed, but still we had some really good years and some highlights and some good races. So I don't regret it. End quote. So yeah, I I think so. I I think that uh, that they have had some uh you know some good races, some good years there. I mean 2018 I think was uh, the the closest then that he uh, ever got to uh you know uh, getting in there and, and taking a, a championship away from uh, Lewis Hamilton if uh, that's the way that uh, he wants uh, to to frame it last year. Very very difficult, but uh, Ross Smedley, who is uh, the uh, director of uh, data systems for Formula 1 and an ex Ferrari guy, had something a little bit um, surprising or controversial to say. And he believes that last year, 2019, was uh, Sebastian's best season in Formula One. Um, anyways, uh, he said this in the uh, the, the F1 Nation podcast uh, earlier this week. Um, he said, uh, quote, I think we saw the real Sebastian Vettel towards the end of the year, which Sebastian had a little bit lost. And I'm sure he'd freely admit that, that he wasn't where he wanted to be, both within the team and with his teammate at the start of the year. But then he actually got his head down, and that's the sign of a true champion. He came back. End quote. Yeah, obviously there were a lot of uh, you know, bad moments uh, for Sebastian uh, last year, but uh, I mean he did have some positive moments uh, towards the, the the end of the year. But um, I, I mean, certainly for those of us uh, on the uh, on the outside, it seems a very difficult to kind of thing to, to really uh, you know make the case that that was his best year in Formula One. But still, I I, I agree with what uh, Ross Smedley says that uh, that he put his head down, had some good races, and uh, he did make the best. Out of what uh, was being a uh, you know a a tough and difficult situation, and that uh, like like Ross says, that is the sign of a a true champion, and I would agree to a certain extent. Anyways, um, Sergio Perez, the Racing Point driver, says it is obvious who would uh, replace uh, who would uh, Vettel would replace if he makes a move to the team, which is going to be Aston Martin uh, in 2021. And I think, uh, well, I think that's obvious uh, for all of us, uh, because, uh, there are two drivers at, uh, racing point right now, Sergio Perez and his teammate, Lance Stroll, and the team is owned. Uh, by a guy of the name of Lawrence Stroll, who also has invested a lot of money along with his uh, consortium, uh, not only in the Formula One team, which he rescued, uh, a couple of years ago, but he's, but he's also, uh, put up, what was it, about 500 million pounds into, uh, the Aston Martin uh, parent company. So, uh, I think it would be doubtful that, uh, that Lance Stroll would leave, uh, Racing Point or uh, Aston Martin. So I think that, uh, I think it's fairly obvious that uh, Sergio Perez says it's obvious who uh, would be, uh, you know, uh, who would be replaced at uh, Racing Point uh, for for next year. And I think that, uh, you know, it just makes a a lot of sense. Uh, Anyways, Perez says, quote, I think the choice is obvious if someone has to go. I'm a dad. I wouldn't kick my son out, but there's not much I can say. There are many rumors around for me. Nothing. Everything remains the same. I have a contract with the team, end quote. Um, So, yeah, I, I mean, he's kind of stating, the obvious, to uh, overuse a word that's uh, been overused a, a little bit already. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Sebastian, you could see that might make more sense. I mean, at one point, it seemed like the only uh, maybe logical or one avenue that might be open to him might be uh, Renault, whether or not he wanted to, to, to go in that uh, direction. But the racing point, you can certainly see that. I mean, you, you see uh, Aston Martin coming into Formula One, they're going to be putting a lot of money into that team. And they're not just showing up uh, to, to go through the motions. I mean, hopefully not. I mean, um, I think that uh, the the team, that uh, the the way that they've been run and the way that they've gone about business the past, uh, say, two years or so since uh, Stroll's uh, group came in and rescued the team and, and put some money into that, I think that they've been going in the in the right direction. The, the, the team obviously hasn't been, uh, you know, uh, competing for podiums or anything like that. But certainly this uh, this year they've been a uh, much further ahead uh, than they have in, in many many years. And I do want to finish that uh, that thought up, but I'm going to just uh, take a bit of a uh, take another quick break here because uh, this is going <laughs> to I got to go on for a little bit. So, anyways, let's take one final break here this uh, this evening, and we'll be back in just a moment. all right well welcome back to the show and yes just to finish up uh, with the, the 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 thoughts on uh, on racing point that i was getting to uh, before the break is that uh, that even though this is a team that uh, w- was slowly i think uh, dying under uh, vj malia just as the you know the, the the money that he was able to put in the team with uh, you know all the problems he was facing with the uh, you know his legal problems and being uh, extradited back to india and all that i mean it looked like the writing was on the wall that this team wasn't uh, going to be for, around for much longer and they'd always done, I think, a a pretty good job of not being one of the bigger, flashier outfits in, in Formula One. But, you know, you have to give Stroll credit uh, for, for coming in, putting his money where, where his mouth is and 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 getting that uh, team back. I mean, they, they've slowly been building up. And this year, I mean, they certainly took a lot of people by surprise with the, the, the whole pink uh, Mercedes thing. And I just want to get that to in, in a moment. So I just want to stick uh, with, uh, you know, this whole uh, Vettel and uh, Perez thing. They said, uh, and this is a racing point, that they're not going to ignore uh, Sergio Perez's Loyalty to the team. Uh, whatever happens in the decision with uh, with the uh, Sebastian Vettel. I mean, uh, this you know, who knows how far along the the the, the talks are. I mean, the um, Vettel's pretty nonchalant and kind of uh, casual about it, saying that uh, they just been talks and talks more about yeah, we're you know, it's it's interesting. You know, let's see if there's something kind of there or maybe not. Anyways, uh, they said that uh, you know they they know that uh, he helped uh, them uh, survive in Formula One, and uh, you know his loyalty for committing his uh, you know his future in in to the team, and that will help play a part in their decision to whether or not he's going to be uh, retained uh, for for next year. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about the the, the loyalty that uh, that he's had to the team. I mean, he's he's really been in there. I mean, w- when I think about guys that uh, that uh, should be at a certain team, you associate with a certain team, Lewis Ham. Hamilton, obviously you think Mercedes, uh, Sebastian Vettel. Well, I mean, obviously in this era, you think of, you know, uh, uh Ferrari, uh, you know, take any driver that you can think of that that's really made an impression, uh, you know, Mika Hakkinen. if you want to go back a generation, obviously, uh, M- McLaren, but I mean, on a smaller note, maybe a more modest note, so you think about Sergio Perez, you're going to associate him with, uh, with Racing Point or, or, uh, Force India, and he certainly has been, you know, that, that guy that, uh, that is really stuck by the team. You gotta m- admire a guy for his, uh, loyalty. Anyways, uh, Otmar Safnauer, the racing point, uh, team, uh, principal said that no decision has actually been made, uh, even though that uh, they have had some, what, you know, what he's been saying, loose talks with uh, Sebastian Vettel, which is exactly the, uh, you know, the same, uh, phrase that, uh, Vettel used. Anyways, um, Safnauer said, uh, quote, I think the fact that he, Perez, has got a sign contract will be a key factor. That means we keep him. Uh, but I know what you're asking. And Sergio has been loyal to us. He's been here for a long time. He's a great racer, works well with the team, and he works well with Lance Stroll. He helps Lance. So I'm sure all those factors do matter. Uh, end quote. So, yeah, you know, I think that uh, at, at the end of the day... <sighs> If you have the possibility to uh, sign a driver like uh, you know uh, Sebastian Vettel, four-time world, world champion, obviously he's had some uh, difficult uh, times in the past couple of years. Is he still a good driver? I think so. Uh, obviously, I think that the uh, things haven't worked out uh, at Ferrari the way that uh, that, that he wanted, uh, but certainly I don't think that uh, you become a bad driver overnight. And p- quite possibly he might do uh, quite well in the change of, uh, of scenery. Anyways, uh, Total Wolf said he will not be playing in a role in influencing uh, the Aston Martin uh, Vettel uh, discussions. he's uh, He is a shareholder in, the, uh, in, in this uh, sports car manufacturer, and uh, he said he's not going to get involved in that uh, in any way or form. He um, uh, bought a 5% uh, interest in Aston Martin in April of uh, this year and said that uh, this was just a personal investment. It doesn't have anything to do with his day job at uh, Mercedes, and I'm using the, uh, the air quotes because I know it's – it's not an easy thing, but uh, I'm sure a lot of us uh, wouldn't call that a job if we had it. <laughs> It'd be pretty cool. Anyways, uh, Wolf had to say, quote, my shareholding in the car company is not related to the F1 uh, racing team. I'm not involved in any discussions between Lauren Stroll, Otmar Safnauer, and Sebastian. Obviously, I know Sebastian very well, and I've been part of some, let's say, social gatherings, but no more than that. End quote. So yeah, I mean uh, th- that is interesting, and I think that uh, any time that uh, there are any questions that uh, that come up about uh, uh, Total Wolf and uh, and uh, and Mercedes and Racing Point and Aston Martin, that's always going to come up, uh, even though it has nothing to do with the uh, you know, with the with the, the, the Formula One team itself. Anyways, uh, Saffinauer, uh, going back to him, says that uh, that he thinks that the other teams on the grid made a mistake not uh, adopting the philosophy of uh, copying uh, last year's uh, Mercedes. W10, and uh, this is obviously a thing that's uh, been a uh, you know a, a big issue. I mean, with all the uh, you know, all the protest uh, lodged uh, by Renault in uh, recent weeks and races uh, because of the uh, the, the, the brake ducts. Uh, anyways, uh, Saffinow has to say uh, you know, when he was asked about uh, if other teams had got their design ro- philosophy wrong, Saffinow had to say, "quote." The answer is yes. However, it doesn't come without risk. We didn't know that we were, uh, what we were doing was going to work, uh, to, uh, to the level that it has. There was a big risk that we are going to take a step backwards. As a matter of fact, when we started developing this in the tunnel that with the ideas that, that we saw through pictures, we took a huge step backwards. I mean, huge. It was seconds per lap slower in the beginning. And it was our own learning that we did for the development process of CFD and tunnel work and more and more and designs and redesigns that got us to the place that we did. End quote. So yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, it, it is interesting. I mean, it's one thing to take inspiration uh, from from uh, from something uh, you know that uh, that's obviously done very well. And I think it is, illustrates a good point in Formula One that uh, whenever somebody comes up uh, with a concept that works, that everybody else seems to copy it, uh, except in the in this case, and they've taken a lot of heat uh, for for that. I mean, even if you see some of the, the comparison pictures of between them, even though there are a lot of uh, similarities, but when you see them side by side, uh, you know, scaled up, I mean. I mean, they're clearly two different things. And uh, even Ross Braun, the uh, managing director of uh, motorsport at Formula One, says that the the, the current protest that's uh, been uh, lodged by Renault against uh, Racing Point is uh, what he calls a tricky problem for the FIA to uh, resolve. Um, anyways, uh, Braun has to say, quote, my view is copying in Formula One is standard. Every team has, in normal times, digital photographers in the pit lane out there taking thousands of photos of every car for analysis with a view of copying the best ideas, Thank <laughs> you you used to give our photographers a shopping list. Racing Point have just taken it to the next stage and done a more thorough job. There is not a single team in this paddock which is not copied to something from another. I'd ask every technical director in the paddock to raise their hand if they haven't copied someone else. If you won't see any hands, I certainly have copied others. End quote. So it is going to be interesting to see how this uh, goes. I mean, uh, the the, the stewards did say after the Styrian Grand Prix that there was merit to the, uh, the, the Renault protest and it would take uh, some time uh, before they actually uh, you know know, for them to do their investigation and they would only make an announcement once that had all been uh, uh, completed anyways racing point uh, just to stick with them they say they have um, specifically 886 drawings which prove the legality of their brake ducts uh, which uh, fall under this listed and non-listed parts Uh, you know the Renault is saying that they're identical to, uh, to the Mercedes and stuff like and it's basically the um, you know, the, the, the whole basis of their, their their protest over the past couple of weeks, Otmar our team principal at uh, Racing Point, had to say, "quote It is impossible for them to be illegal. Brake ducts, just so you know, take a long time to design and make. They are very, very complicated. And we have 886 individual drawings for our brake ducts." Uh, just so you know they protested the the break ducks and we don't have other any other break ducks mainly because they are legal. We have no concerns whatsoever. Our break ducks are legal, legal. We ran them last weekend, we ran them again this weekend and we'll be running them again at Silverstone. End quote. Um, uh, he did go on, uh, just, uh, you know, i just sort of shorten this up here. He did go on uh, to say that uh, that the whole, uh, you know, uh, process is, uh, you know, getting frustrating and, uh, you know, having to wait to, to prove their point, their case. And uh, they were given, um, you know, three weeks initially to gather evidence after the, the, the Styrian Grand Prix. And uh, the, the hearing is set to take place uh, sometime between now and uh, the end of next week uh, before the British Grand Prix gets uh, underway. Anyways, getting away from a racing point, uh, just a couple of minutes left in the show. Ferrari has uh, restructured their F1 technical uh, department after their disastrous start uh, to the 2020 season. Some people uh, calling it disappointing. I think that's uh, kind of mild. I mean, they're they're only fifth in the Constructors' uh, Championships. uh, You know, Vettel and Charles Leclerc were sixth and 11th at the, the Hungarian Grand Prix. And it just hasn't been uh, very good at uh, all. And uh, recently, uh, Matteo Bonato said uh, there would not be any, uh, you know, snap decisions or knee jerk reactions or mass firings. Uh, you know, at Marinello, uh, in reaction to the, the the bad start that they've had to, to to the season. Anyway, so they've they've announced a restructuring of their their technical team and they've created a new performance development uh, department. Uh, who's going to be or that's going to be overseen uh, by Enrico Credile and he's uh, served as the uh, head of aerodynamics and uh, vehicle project uh, management and uh, they have um, Enrico Gugliateri, who's in charge of the power unit. Uh, Laurent Mique is a sporting director and is uh, in charge of the uh, trackside activities. And uh, Simone Resta will be continue to lead the chassis engineering uh, department. And I believe that uh, Rory Byrne uh, will be able to count on... Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Enrico Cardile will be able to uh, draw on the experience of Rory Byrne, uh, who's uh, going to be uh, involved. I believe he's there several months out of the year, even though I think he was uh, retired about 15 years ago, or at least tried to, but is apparently not around. I mean, he designed all of the seven cars that uh, for for Benetton and Ferrari that uh, Michael Schumacher won a uh, world championship in. So definitely, uh, you know, he's a good guy, a very smart person uh, to have around. Um, anyways, uh, Benato, like I was saying, he said that sacking uh, people, firing them is not going to make the team any better. It's not going to make them uh, any faster. And uh, he was uh, saying that uh, he had, and quote, I have confidence uh, for the people who work in the Gestionea Sportiva. We started out on a long process that should lead to another uh, winning cycle. And this is what uh, Ferrari told, or sorry, uh, Bonato told the official uh, Ferrari website. Uh, anyways, he goes on to say, "quote It will take a while, but the whole company understands and supports this vision." that's why I find it amusing to read some stories that are doing the rounds it's not by sacking people that you make a car go faster end quote so yeah I mean that, that is one thing but uh, you know he's saying it's a it, it's a long-term project um, but but how long is is long-term uh, before they get uh, you know the, the the ship turned around how long is it going to be uh, before they get back to being competitive again and that, that's one thing that uh, that, that obviously everybody's uh, going to be uh, focusing on because it is not a good look for them it, it it certainly does uh you know been a very very tough and difficult uh, start to start to this year and uh this is a follow-up uh you know the the, the uh this kind of open scandal that uh well, do you really even want to call it a scandal? It's because uh, I mean the, the the true findings of the you know what what was going on with their power unit last year has not been uh, made public. It's been sealed. They have an agreement uh, with the FIA that it would not be uh, made public uh, even within uh, you know with, within Formula One. So I mean there there's a lot of uh you know there's there's a lot of suspicion there as well you might uh, understand and uh it really is you know really makes you wonder what what they found was wrong with that I mean Ferrari insisted um all the way through last year and especially as the the, the heat picked up uh, in the latter stages of the year that uh, the engine had been uh, was legal and that uh, even under scrutiny that uh, that it was uh, you know still found to be a legal power unit they didn't have any issues with it and, uh, well, apparently not. And, uh, certainly they have a lot of work to, uh you know, to, to, to get them, uh, turned around to get themselves back uh, in the right direction and doing what they need to do to be, uh, winning races because, uh, they've slowly been, uh, petering off 2018. It was a good year. They should have, uh, won a championship, uh, either in the constructors or, uh, driver's world championship and it slipped, uh, away from them. Anyways, uh, like I said, uh, there there wasn't maybe as much news as a regular week, but uh, there were some very important things uh, to talk about and discuss, and that's pretty much it that I have uh, for tonight. Coming up to the end of the time here, it is almost midnight on the west coast of uh, Canada on uh, Thursday, July twenty third, twenty twenty. I've got a couple of hours to, to cut this and finish it and get it all ready for release. So I'm going to leave it right there. So thank you guys for downloading and listening to the show. I really do uh, appreciate the support and it's uh, good to see that, uh, that the show is uh, doing very well and you guys uh, seem to be enjoying it uh, as we get back to, to racing uh, over the past couple of weeks and we have uh, more races to, to look forward to coming up. Uh, again, if you want to get in touch, as always, easiest ways on Twitter at f one and email scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you very much for listening. And talk to you guys again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to scuderiaf1pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com.